Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 22nd, 2018, we continue our series titled Ephesians Made Worthy, Walk Worthy. Today's sermon, Walking Warrior Part 1, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Lager out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. Enjoy! We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15 this morning. As Brendan mentioned a couple times in worship, we are talking about spiritual warfare. You guys like war movies? I was reminded of my love for war movies this week because my wife was out of town. Um, Which means I had full control of the remote control. Uh, So I went back and forth between The Office and war films because those things merge so well together, right? Uh, and I was reminded of one of my favorite things during war movies. It's like these big motivational speeches and monologues that happen. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, if you've seen a war movie, I'm sure you're familiar with this. There's one of these in Lord of the Rings. Anyone seen Lord of the Rings, specifically Return of the King, and they're outside the Black Gate? There's this amazing speech from this guy named Aragorn. It's short and it's sweet, but in one of the lines he says is this. He says, a day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day and everyone raises their swords and they're beating them against their shields and they're all excited and they're ready to fight or there's the movie Braveheart you've seen Braveheart I imagine William Wallace he says this they may take our lives but they may never take our freedom and again these guys are so excited and they're beating their swords against their shields and they're all amped up and and ready to fight. There's another really cool motivational moment that happens in movies like this. Maybe it's not the speech, but it's a moment in the battle and in the war itself. Benjamin Martin in the movie, The Patriot. You've seen The Patriot, perhaps. Towards the end of the movie when there's this war going on and there's this big retreat, Benjamin Martin goes and he grabs the flag and advances towards the front line and starts yelling, hold the line! Hold the line! And what happens? People are incredibly motivated. They get jacked up, amped up, and they start running back into the battle. Or Desmond Doss in the movie Hacksaw Ridge. You've seen this movie. It's maybe more recent than the others, but he's drawing upon strength from the Lord, and he's on top of this ridge rescuing other soldiers and his friends. And as he lowers someone off to a ridge to safety, he prays and says, Lord, just one more, just one more. Now, I don't know about you, but something happens to me when I watch these movies. Um, my heart begins pumping more violently and my blood begins to rush. Oftentimes, I'll look down at my hands and find them clenched. Um, I notice that my teeth are now grinding. The expression on my face has changed and I want to fight somebody. Maybe you've experienced this. Something comes over us when people give us these big motivational war speeches. And this morning as we approach Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 15, towards the end of our time together, it's the same tone that Paul takes with us. It's this motivational war monologue, this war cry for us to stand and to fight in the strength of the Lord. So I'd invite you to turn Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we're only in verses 10 through 15. I will read through verse 20 to keep the context because this is going to be a part one, part two, part three type of thing over the next three weeks. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're a once every three worker, weaker, or a once every once in a while person, um, do your best to be here the next three weeks because the next three weeks are going to be building upon each other starting today in regard to spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verses 10. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard this morning, we recognize it's your word that's been spoken. And God, we know that your word is authoritative for our life. God, this morning we submit ourselves to you that you would have your way with us and through us and in us. God, that we would find our strength and courage, not in our own abilities and natural talents and skills, but God, we'd find our strength and courage and boldness in Christ and in Christ alone. God, this morning, would we be equipped to fight the good fight of the faith that's not against people, but it's against the evil, the evil things in this world. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who's rescued us from evil so we can have a right relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you'd soften our minds, that you'd open our eyes and our hearts so we can see and understand and apply the things of the Lord to our current situation, whatever that might be. This morning, God, we love you and we praise you and ask that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise with everything said and done in this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We are gonna start in verse 10. Again, you'll see in your outline, this is Walking Warrior, part one, and next week we'll do part two, and the following week we'll do Walking Warrior, part three. In your outline, you'll see three things, and those are kind of big takeaways and observations from the text this morning, the first of which is this, is that our strength to fight comes from the Lord. Our strength to fight comes from the Lord. Now we see this in verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians chapter six. Paul says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's interesting, he starts with that word finally. It's the last thing we're gonna get into. Now, if people save the best for last, then most certainly we should listen up just in case this is Paul's best thing he has for us in the book of Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're supposed to remember and look back and think, okay, finally, what have we covered? And we have covered a lot from the beginning of this book. We've seen who God is. We've seen what God is like. We've established an identity that comes completely through Christ. We've been enlightened to understand the mystery of the gospel, how Paul says there's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we are one in Christ Jesus. We've learned how to live in the community of the church and how we ought to behave with one another, how we should equip each other and build each other up and use our gifts for the benefit of the body. 
We've also learned how we should operate within the confines of our own home. We've seen roles for marriage between husband and wife. We've seen roles for fathers to children, mothers for children. We've seen roles in the workplace. How should we operate in the workplace to the glory of God? Now, all of this leads up to this. Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The command to be strong in the Lord is something that goes way, 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 way back. Remember that guy Moses? Old Testament Moses. Um, Moses is great. Jesus is better, by the way, if you read Hebrews. Um, that's one of the messages of Hebrews. Moses is really, he's a, he's a super sweet, super sick guy. But Jesus, way better than Moses, okay? Uh, but Moses, a lot to learn from the guy. Pretty cool dude. He's like the father of, of Israel. I mean, he's just this big, big guy. And everyone looks back to Moses and ah, look what Moses did. And, and then there's another guy who comes along. Remember Moses' protege, the guy who's supposed to fill his shoes? Remember his name? Joshua. Moses had some pretty big shoes to fill. So God comes along and talks to Joshua because I'm sure Joshua is a bit concerned. I mean, Moses was a, a, pretty, a pretty cool guy and filling his shoes is a pretty tall order, God. I'm not sure if I can do that. But God says to this to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse nine, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. This is a message throughout the whole scriptures. Be strong and courageous. And it's never detached from the presence or the power of God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Why should the church and Christians not be frightened? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of what? Of power, of love, and of self-control. So be afraid of nothing. By the way, in regard to spiritual warfare, never is the church told to fear the devil. Never is the church told to fear evil. Never is the church told to fear demons. Fear God and that's it and through that we draw strength. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Emmanuel, what's that mean? God with us. Why should we take courage in Emmanuel? Because God will send us out and do things and he's never detaching his power or his presence from us. In fact, he sends us and says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. It's the great commission before Jesus ascends to heaven. This is what he says to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now Jesus just went out and taught all this stuff and then he got killed for it. So it would be good for the disciples to have some courage along the way. And Jesus tells you this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples, it's actually to your benefit that I go away because if I go away, I'll send who? The helper. So not only do we as the church have God with us in the form of Emmanuel, we also have God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit himself. So why should we be afraid of anything? Our strength should always come from the Lord. Or think back to another big, strong warrior in the Old Testament. You remember uh, David? There's this part in 1 Samuel 17 or 18 where they come back from war and the people are chanting, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands because he was a beast. But just earlier in chapter 17, David slayed Goliath and you know who he credited every, credit everything to? The strength of the Lord. David didn't come back and say, look what I did. He actually said, why should I fear anything? I have the armies of the Lord with me. Or you can look at his mindset in the Psalms, Psalm chapter 28, 
Verse seven, David says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. One of the strongest warriors known to anyone in mankind. Who does he credit his strength to? He credits it to the Lord. Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David drew upon the Lord for all of his strength and never took credit for any of it. Why? Because just like David, we too are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Two things. First thing, whole armor of God. Where does armor of God come from? Because it's not a phrase used very frequently. Um, One other place in Thessalonians by Paul. Where does he get it from? He actually gets it from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5 says this, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Who are we talking about? He's talking about the Lord, Jesus. And he's talking about the clothing of Jesus. What what is he clothed with? What's his character like? And he's saying righteousness shall be the belt and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It's a very similar picture we get to here in Ephesians chapter 6. That the Lord is clothed in these things. So what's Paul saying? He's basically saying, hey, The things that the Lord is clothed with, righteousness, faithfulness, truth, all those, clothe yourselves with the character of Christ. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, similar message. It says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. What's the character of Christ? What does Christ put on? Christ puts on righteousness. Christ puts on our salvation. Christ puts on Vengeance, Christ puts on zeal. If we're meant to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, the goal is not to go out and put on our own armor and try to do what Christ did, but put on Christ himself. Our strength comes from the Lord, not our own strength. Secondly, it says, so we can withstand the schemes of the devil. Now, contrary to popular opinion, the devil is no idiot. It's actually a rather smart individual. Think of it like this. How many of you are bad at math? Just honesty hour. Like, no, not my thing. Now, those of you with your hands up, if I gave you 10 years to get better at math, could you get better at math? Probably. If I gave you, some of you are like, there's no chance. So if, if, that's, <laughs> if that's you, then just tune out for a second and then tune back in when the illustration's over. Uh, how many of you, if I gave you 100 years could nearly be an expert at math, right? I mean, some of you are still not, but that's fine. A thousand years? Think about it. A thousand years to study one subject. Anyone with a thousand years to study one subject would easily become an expert in any given field. Now, here's the deal with the devil. Um, The devil has been studying the human heart. The devil's been studying the human mind. The devil's been studying what makes people tick, what makes people lust, what makes people fall for thousands and thousands and thousands in thousands of years. So, so look back for a second, okay? If, if to accomplish physical war, like David did, he needed God's help, how much help do you and I need to fight the fight in spiritual war? A lot. A lot, a lot, 
of help. He says, withstand the schemes of the devil. He knows what we are like. He knows what makes us tick. Here's the question. Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's like? Because it's the schemes of the devil. We can know his schemes. We can look through scriptures and figure out his schemes. Think of it like this. In high school, uh, I played football. And, and one, one day a week, we'd have film day. Right, if you played sports, you're familiar with film day. And on film day, if you're playing defense, what you do is study the offensive scheme of your opponent and then develop your defensive scheme based upon the offense you know they're going to run. Right? That's the way film day Work. So can we not do the same with the devil? Can we not look through the scriptures and say, okay, here's the playbook. Here's what he typically does and then build our defense around that? Of course we can. Of course we can. So what are some schemes of the devil that we see throughout the scriptures? Well, Jesus gives us one of them in John 10. Uh, he says the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. A scheme of the devil is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives the parable of the soils and the sower. In one of these, the, these soils, he throws the seed and then birds come and snatch it before anything can happen. And then when Jesus goes in and interprets his own parable, he says, that seed that's sown, that's snatched by a bird, that's what the devil does. The devil comes in and before the gospel can take root in someone's heart, he snatches it away. He steals it. He steals the hope from them. The devil steals. Or you can look at the book of Job, the story of Job. I mean, you can really see the devil in action in the book of Job. The whole thing is him stealing, killing, and destroying the life of Job. So what does he do in our life? Well, have you ever had your joy stolen from you? Just down in the dumps? Who do you think's doing that? You ever have a relational conflict in your home and you're just like constantly fighting against each other? Who do you really think's behind that? People at work you just don't get along with and you want to make them your enemy. They're, they're not. We're going to get there. They're not. There's things going on behind the scenes that we do not see. Here's another scheme of the devil. The devil is a liar. Jesus says he's the father of lies. Genesis chapter three, the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect and then who shows up and ruins it? The devil. He twists the truth. He knows the truth enough to twist it and make it look attractive and then deceive people to fall. Next week, we're gonna talk about another scheme of the devil uh, as he dives into this whole idea of, of flaming darts and everything else. Jeff is gonna talk about how one of the things the devil does, a scheme of the devil, is just find out what our own sinful desires are and then shoot darts that ignite those desires. Things that make you fall, things that make you lust, things the devil knows that you as an individual want, and then he puts those in your path, and then you have to do the rest. That's it. We can know the schemes of the devil, and one of the ways we fight back is knowing the scheme, knowing our strength comes from God. Here's the second thing we see in this passage is this. Our struggle is not with people, but against Satan and evil spiritual forces. Our struggle is not with people, but against Satan and evil spiritual forces. Verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, did you catch that first part? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That means your real fight in this life is not against people. People are not the enemy. 
Yet, if you look at your own life, how many of you have some conflict and some relationship drama that's draining the emotional equity from your life? How many of you are currently fighting with somebody? How many of you have made someone an enemy who was never meant to be the enemy in the first place? How many of you have been made an enemy to somebody else? Who's behind all that? Satan, it's the schemes. Steal, kill, destroy, lie, deceive. Inflame our own desires. You can look at Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul lists all of the struggles he's gone through because of the faith and because of the gospel ministry. And they include but are not limited to getting beaten by the Jews, getting beaten by the Gentiles, getting stoned by people he thought were his friends, uh, being left for dead outside of his city. And never in Paul's writings does he say, yeah, you know who the real enemy was? Those guys who tried to kill me. Yeah, that would be my perspective. If somebody was trying to kill me and leave me for dead, I'd say, I'm pretty sure that guy's the enemy. But what's Paul say? The enemy is not people. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. The real enemy is the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What else do we know about this war that we're in? First John 4, 2 through 4, we can find some encouragement. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So there's evil in the world here and now. Spirit of Antichrist in the world here and now. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you, um, pop quiz, who is in you? Spirit of God. He who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. Who is in the world? Devil, demons, evil system. Okay, the one who is in us has already conquered those things. The one who is in us has already proved himself victorious over those things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Okay, flashback to Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against who? The rulers, against the authorities. And now you have Paul in Colossians saying, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Triumph. Victory, the war is over. We know who wins. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, says this. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The war is over. Well, then what are we talking about spiritual warfare for? It's more like spiritual battle because though the war is over and we know the end, there's still a whole bunch of battles along the way that are gonna get fought. Think of it like this. When does a football game get really dirty? When one team is so far ahead that everyone knows it's done. Guys start pinching in the piles, they're hitting each other, socking each other. It happens. It's that same thing playing itself out right now in spiritual warfare. The war is over, but the battle rages on. Third thing, we need to recognize that we have been given everything we need to stand firm to fight those battles. We have been given everything we need to stand firm and fight those battles. Friends, we are in a fight. And you don't get the choice to opt in or opt out. You're in the fight. And if you approach the fight with an attitude of indifference, of, I don't care, I'll just let things be, then you're destined to lose. 
God tells us there's a war. God tells us there's battles going on. And then he says, but I've given you everything you need to stand firm. My strength and put on the same character of Christ. So how do we fight back? Verse 13, he gives us an answer. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Don't cherry pick. Don't just take some things that you like. Well, I like the belt of truth because it's got a belt buckle and I like Jesus. Don't cherry pick. And say, oh, I like, well, I like the helmet of salvation. I just want the helmet of salvation. But then I don't want to worry about the righteousness of Christ and the gospel of readiness with the, the, the shoes of peace thing. Like, I just want one. Or He doesn't give us that option. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I love that word, withstand. It's the same word we see throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, and again, who's our true adversary? The devil, not people. Our adversary is not people. Devil demons, principalities. The devil prowls, that sounds like schemes, doesn't it? The devil himself schemes. Still kill, destroy, lie, entice us for our own sinful desires. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. That's that same word as withstand that we see in Ephesians chapter 6. Resist him firm in your faith. Now, who's the object of this? Faith. Jesus. Firm in your trust in Jesus. Firm in your faith in Christ. He's not saying resist him. Firm in your understanding of yourself. Firm in your own ability to fight stuff that you can't even see. Like he doesn't say that. Stand firm. Resist him. Firm in what? Firm in faith. Firm in trust in Christ. Faith knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Another place, James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist That's the same word as that withstand. Resist the devil and he will what? Run scared crying. He'll flee. He'll flee from you. But what has to happen before any of this can happen? Submit yourselves. This is what we see in the very beginning of this passage. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We cannot win these spiritual battles if we're trusting on our own abilities. It will not and it cannot happen, but he's given us everything we need to stand firm. And what do we see that as? He he shows us in the armor of God is what he calls us. On the screen, we have a picture of a, a Roman soldier because we're talking about war and maybe you're thinking like 5'11 flak jacket military stuff and that's not the picture that Paul would have been thinking. He would have been thinking more like this. This is a picture we found on an ancient Kodak camera that was buried up from the ancient city of Ephesus, by the way. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. That's just some guy in a costume. He's probably from Wisconsin or something like that. Uh, Nothing against Wisconsin. I'm literally just saying a place. Um, This is the image that Paul has in mind. This is the armor of God. This is what the breastplate may have looked like. This is what the belt may have looked like. The shield, the sword, the helmet, the shoes, all parts of the armor of God that Paul refers to. But again, he's not so much referring to the piece of armor as he is referring to the character of our Lord. So what does Paul say about the armor of God? He says, verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. 
having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, it may be helpful to go through and expand this metaphor of saying, well, what does the belt do? Well, it keeps your pants on. So if you don't have truth, then your pants are going to fall off. Or what else did the belt do? Uh, Well, the belt kept the sword on. So if you don't have the truth, then you can't yield the sword. Or what else did a belt do? Well, the belt held the pants to the shirt, to the helmet, to everything. So, and, and maybe that's helpful, but I don't think that's the point of what Paul's getting to here. What's Paul saying? Put on Christ. Put on Christ. John 14, 6, what is truth? Jesus says this. I, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is it important for a believer to know truth? Because who likes to lie? The devil. The devil, and the devil would love to attack you at this point to make everything fall off. If he can attack you at the point of truth and say, no, 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 no. Did God really say, did did God really say that he's the only way? I I don't know if he said that. But we gird ourselves with truth. We prepare for war by truth. We know who Christ is. We know who he calls us. We know what the scriptures say. We know truth, that when someone says something that's not true, it smells weird and we know it right away. Here's the second thing. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, some would say the breastplate of righteousness. It's the piece that's closest to the heart um, and we like to think of Jesus as being in our heart. So if, if Satan could attack us at our righteousness at the heart level, then everything might fall apart. The breastplate of righteousness. But what do we know about righteousness? We know this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, in some sense, if you are in Christ, you've already been given the piece of armor for righteousness. You don't got to work for it. You don't got to fight for it. You don't have to do all of the right things and say, see God, look what I've done for you. This says, God the Father gave Jesus your sin so in turn he could give you Christ's righteousness. You don't have to work for that. He put it on you. So when Satan comes and attacks you and says, no, you're unrighteous, you don't do enough good, God would never love you based upon everything that you've done. And look at your past. Aren't you ashamed? How could you live like that? God surely wouldn't love someone like you. And you say, no. No. I have a righteousness that's not of my own. I have a righteousness that does not come from obedience. I have a righteousness that does not come from following a law. I have a righteousness given to me from Christ Jesus through faith. And you stand and you fight. And you wear your righteousness with pride. Verse 15, it says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel, of peace. Now, sometimes we'd call this the shoes of the gospel. Um, the way that he actually says it is he calls them as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness. So the ready shoes. Like we got some dancing shoes and we got some ready shoes, right? Like let's put on the shoes of readiness given by what? Given by the gospel of peace. That word gospel, it means good news. It means good news. What's the good news? Well, the good news is Christ loves you despite your deficiencies. The good news is that God made a way for you to be in right relationship with him. The good news is that once you were at war with God, but he did something between you and him where you can now be at peace with God. 
It's the gospel, it's the good news. And what happens to us when we put on the good news? What happens when we put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace? Some more helpful imagery. Roman soldiers oftentimes would take nails and drive them through the bottoms of their sandals, kind of like common day cleats. They'd go to war with their cleats on so they could stand firm, that as an enemy advanced and pushed against them, they could stand arm in arm behind their shield and they wouldn't be moved. Why? Because they're firmly rooted in the gospel. That when attack comes my way, I can have peace. Why? Because I have peace with God. That when my world's in chaos, I can ask for that peace that passes all understanding and he'll give it to me. Think about it. You wouldn't go play football in ballet slippers, would you? Ladies, you wouldn't go hike Camelback Mountain in your brand new Jimmy Choo stilettos. I wouldn't have, right? Like, maybe that's you, but that's just a bad idea. It's an awful idea. Why would we think anything less? Why would we think that the gospel which brought us into right relationship with the Lord could ever be abandoned? It cannot. It becomes the foundation for us as we move forward in this fight against evil. So what? We'll end with this. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which if you want an interesting take on how the spiritual realm may be functioning, I would... Um, invite you to read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It is fascinating. In the opening of that book, he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Now what happens is many of us fall on one or the other. You've been either living in total disregard, either because you just didn't know this stuff was going on, or you just didn't want to think about it. So you're saying, no, devils, demons, whatever. I don't want nothing to do with that. But then there's people on the other hand where it's like every time your kid spills their milk, you're like, bind me, Satan. And you're like, surely the devil's behind that. And every under rock and you see a bug, it's because the devil put the bug there. And, and it's just, it's, you're crazy on that end. So th there's this end of unhealth and there's this end of unhealth. And what this passage shows us is this. This passage tells us we're in a fight against the devil straightforward what Paul tells us about the spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. We are in a fight against the devil. We see that in this life, people are not the enemy. They're not. We see that our strength to fight comes from the Lord. And we see that if we put on his armor, the character of Christ himself, then we will be victorious in the battle. Let's pray. God, we need your help. God, we needed you to accomplish our salvation for us. And just like that, God, we need your help in winning the war and the battles that may come along the way. God, thank you for defeating Satan. Thank you for defeating demons. Thank you for not leaving that up to us because God, we know we would have screwed it up. God, give us courage, give us boldness, give us strength, not strength that comes from our own doing, strength that comes from our own talents and our own abilities, but God, would you give us your strength? Would you arm us 
with your character, with the person of Christ God, that we would put on his righteousness, that we would put on his truth, and that we would rest confident and assured by the foundation of the gospel of good news, which brings us peace, peace between God and man, and peace for us in this life today. God, you are so good to us. We're unworthy of your love. We're unworthy of your grace, but God, you bestowed it upon us anyway. So this morning, would we respond in the best way possible as we know how and see fit, and that's in worship and praise to you. God, thank you for who you are. Give us your strength and your strength alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen.